Welcome to Lasting Truth, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills in Banning, California, where Pastor Ryan Hussein teaches the entire Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, giving our listeners the opportunity of receiving the full counsel of God. In today's program, we're studying the book of Acts, chapter 17, and Pastor Ryan is joining us live this afternoon with a message for our listeners about some upcoming events. Hey guys, this is Pastor Ryan Hussein with Calvary Chapel Sweet Hills in Banning. I just wanted to invite you out to our Good Friday service on April 2nd at 7 p.m. and to our Easter service on Sunday, April 4th at 10 a.m. Join us as we celebrate the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I sure look forward to seeing you there. God bless and take care. Jesus said, if you want to come after him, we have to hate. Not that he wants us to hate our family, but when it comes to obedience to God, he wins over family. If he doesn't win, then family is God. Right? You feel me? So I change for myself, which if you become a Christian, you change for yourself. But make sure that your atmosphere is holy, is pure. Jesus hung out and ate with sinners, right? But did they sin while they were with him? No, the sinners were open to what he wanted us to hear. Moms, dads, grandparents, our home belongs to God. He gave that to us. It's our responsibility that if you come into this house, you watch your language. If you come into this house, you're going to live pure. If you're going to stay under this roof, there ain't no plain house, youngsters. There isn't plain house, no footsies, no holding hands. You want to do that? Go get married. Yeah, well, I don't have the money to go get married. Well, you ain't going to live here. Separate. Don't awaken love until the time. It says at various times in the Bible, do not awaken love. Yeah, but in the world, they, they hook up. We go, yeah, in Monte, we were, we were conditioned. We went to dances in the 7th and 8th grade. We went to dances in elementary school before that. Where they bumped the Beastie Boys. And I'm, we're in elementary against the wall. <laughs> saying, you know, who's going to make the first move? What are they doing? They're conditioning us for the club. Parents should have said, what, what are you doing? The Bible says don't awaken love. They should be playing hopscotch and dodgeball. What are you doing? But this is the world. Oh, but why should I tell them? Because back in the day, you know, I was hooking up when I was young. You've, you're a new creation. You've been washed from the old life. Who cares how bad you were? You want them to be bad or did God save you so that you can warn them to not make the same mistakes? Paul, don't be afraid. Keep speaking. I have many people in that city. That's what they need. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Achilla, born in Pontus. Pontus was near the Black Sea, Northeast Asia Minor up there, modern-day Turkey, south of Russia. Pontus, that's where Achilla came from who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. 
So Claudius Caesar, he reigned from 41 to 54 BC, and he kicked all the Jews out of Italy. Can you imagine that? Anti-Semitism has been around, guys, forever. What is the world's beef with the Jews? Could it be that the Messiah would come from their line? Could it be that 144 of virgin Jewish men will be preaching during the Great Tribulation? Could it be that Israel one day will have their eyes open, the Bible tells us? Could it tell us that he will bring his people back to their land, which he did? I mean, guys, anti-Semitism, when you read about the Holocaust, when you, all of those, there's a reason why the devil hates the Jewish people. And Jesus would say to the Gentile church, hey, don't be haters. Don't be saying there's no more promises for Israel. Read the book of Romans and it'll tell you all about that. But Claudius Caesar, he, he, made, he expelled all the Jews out of Italy. And so Paul would uh, meet Achilla and Priscilla. And it says here that he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occasion, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And so Paul hooked up with them. We're not sure that he hooked up with them because they were believers. It doesn't say they were believers. They were Jewish. But it's interesting how it was their their uh, their work, the, they were tent makers, all of them. Paul was, and so were they by trade. So in his work, God used that as a divine appointment to hook them up together. And they would become solid pillars in the church. And um, it's interesting how the Lord will use our occupations to minister to us and to others. I am amazed. You ever see that in your work? Nah, I hate my job, Pastor. I don't see God working at all. Well, seek the Lord. Say, thank you, Lord, that I have this job, even though I don't like it. Help me to like it. And speak to me through it. Help me to grow as a believer in this whatever I'm doing. Because God can use it. I was a security guard for four years all over the place. Ended up in Orange County. Got saved. And then got a job with Caltrans as a dispatch clerk. So I went from watching guard, observing and reporting, daily activity reports, the DARs for all you security guards out there. But it kept me out of trouble, helped me to start think about my mortality, my life, just because guards usually just sit around and do nothing, but sit. And all that time, but I, but I would sit there and think, my life is insane. I can't believe I do that, you know, the life I was living. Drugs, alcohol, gangsterism, all of that. Living a double life. Got saved, got, a, got into Caltrans as a dispatch clerk. Working graveyard shift for years. Caltrans Communications, how can I help you? Dealing with responding to emergencies, right? That's on the freeway. It would come to me and then we would send it to CHP. So it was just kind of, and I had all that time to sit around there as well because it was a reactive job. So I had my Bible. I could study there. I could study as a security guard when things were quiet. I, can, I, I learned how to respond to things that were just can happen any, at any moment. Then I got hired as a property controller at Caltrans in San Bernardino. 
where I had to keep inventory of every computer, every printer, every copier in all of the district of San Bernardino for Caltrans. Learn to organize that. I got promoted to an analyst for construction department Caltrans, working in an office, doing analytical work, organizing, just multitasking, charge of cell phones, procuring purchases over vehicles for Caltrans. So I was over a lot of things that helped me in the future for administrative purposes with the things of the church. So you see how God intertwined. And in between, I met a gang of people. You meet Christians, non-Christians. God uses our occupation for his kingdom if we'll see it. And so Paul here was working, and it's good for a minister to work, is it not? There are a lot of ministers, and the word minister means servant, right? It comes from the term of the slaves in the ship that would roll, you know, those big barges, the Roman Empire and all the other empires of that time. The slaves underneath, you see it in uh, Ben-Hur. Remember, he was chained. That's what a minister is. A lot of ministers have forgot that. They think that they can just live large and not be servants. But I learned from Pastor Chuck, you know, that, you know, we're still picking up trash. We'll still pick up a broom. We'll still clean a restroom. That's the heart of a true minister, to be a servant, to work if need be. Jesus would say to the church, or or just say in general, that the laborer is worthy of his wages. So if the church can take care of, of their pastor, Physical needs, that's a good thing. But if a church cannot, if, it, if it, the finances aren't there, if it, the church is small, then uh, the pastor should work. But the Bible does say a lot about work, doesn't it? Is it just a pastor? It's good to see a pastor work if he has to. That's good. But men should work. Men should work if it's the age of work. Men should work. Women, you don't want to marry a guy who does not have a job. I mean, this is all practical Christianity, which a guy who grew up fatherless had no idea. So I'm trying to just give truth, right? This is what Paul would say concerning uh, working. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7 through 11, you can write it down and check it out later. He would say, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge. But worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busy bodies. Bible says if a man refuses to work, let him not eat. Now there is grace periods when you're in between jobs, you're looking for work. But I say this, if a man's not working, shouldn't he be pounding the pavement? Looking for me, my job is to look for work. That's my job while I'm not working. If you have grown kids in your house and they're not pounding the pavement, mom's dad, show them the door. You know, eight hours you'd be working at work. Spend eight hours looking for a, for a job. You'll find it. Eight hours a day. Not just half an hour. Oh, that suffices, mijo, mija. Doesn't suffice. Keep looking. Proverbs 13, 4 says, The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Paul worked. And what's interesting is he was a tent maker by trade. They say that uh, he, he worked with, with goat skins, and perhaps the tents were made out of goat skins. I don't know. 
But he made tents. Tents, tents are temporary dwelling places for people, right? Nobody, I don't think anybody in here lives in a tent. I don't think anybody, because tents are, you know, temporary. Oh, how I, I feel the Lord uses our occupation so supernaturally, naturally. He would, Paul would use the term tents to describe these temporary bodies. Tents. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Can you picture Paul making all these tents, day in, day out, making these tents, and then the Holy Spirit would use that to say, now teach them that when someone dies, what they're doing is they're giving up this tent, this temporary body, it's temporary, made for earth, not made for heaven. And they get a better body made from the Lord, given by God, so that they can enter a new climate called heaven. Which is what our loved ones, who know the Lord, is what happens to them. They get further clothed. A mansion. If it were not so, Jesus said, I would tell you so. But it is so. So he went to prepare a place for us. And if he went to prepare a place for us, and he's going to come back for us. Our loved ones that have died in the faith receive that new body, are with the Lord. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Oh, but tense. I'm in Caltrans. How can that help me in the ministry? Submit to your boss, mijo. There's so much we learn from our jobs. We learn submission, don't we? Which the Bible says we're to submit to one another. Your kids submit to you? If they don't, show them the door. I submit to my kids. When I'm, when I'm in the wrong, the kids, they're big enough to start checking me. And uh, it, goes, it goes both ways. We have to listen to them. But it says here that Paul reasoned with them, as, is, as was his normal thing, in the Sabbath, every Sabbath, and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. He reasoned with them. That's what he did. You know, the term reason means that which is thought or, or which is alleged in words as the ground or cause of opinion, conclusion, or determination. Paul reasoned with them. He explained to them why he believes in Jesus Christ. He explained to them the beauty of surrendering one's life to the Messiah. He reasoned with them why they should turn from their sins and go to God. Does not God still want to reason with us today? Do we not come into his house so that the word is taught and, and we can receive the word and reason with God in our spirits as he tries to convince us of the right way, as he tries to exhort us of the right ways, as he tries to rebuke us of the wrong ways. We are still reasoning with God every day concerning the way we live, spiritually, where we're at. And he reasoned with them concerning the gospel. We reason with the Lord when we hear the word, when we study the word, when we pray, when we interact with one another does not God use our brothers and sisters to help strengthen us, to help convince us? Have you ever been convinced by a brother or sister in, the, in church about how much God loves you? Have you ever been comforted by a brother or sister in church? Have you ever been exhorted or rebuked by a brother or sister in church? All of these things take place in his house, which you can't do if you're at home. For those who won't come back. There's so much to this, and it all, a lot of it has to do with reasoning. 
It is our reasonable service to serve him. It's reasonable. After all, he died for us. Shouldn't we? Isn't it reasonable that we serve him? Isn't it reasonable that we live a new life and stop with the sin and the compromise? Isn't it reasonable that we repent? Isn't it reasonable that we come to his house? It's reasonable, yeah. And do you have a, a reason for the faith that you have, the hope that you have? Paul, Peter would write in 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So now Timothy and Silas show up. They come from Macedonia. And it says that Paul was compelled in the Spirit. The word compelled, guys, it means to, to drive by force. Check that out. It means to drive by force. You ever feel that with the Holy Spirit? There is something wrong, and the Holy Spirit drives you, pushes you to deal with the wrong. And he's preaching the moralities of God to a very sinful place. I think the Lord's speaking to moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, family. Don't be okay with the sin in your home. Don't be okay with just spending time with your non-believing children and, and feeling no need to not share with them the truths of God. Try to woo them in. There's too much compromise. And when we don't share the truth with friends, loved ones, and whomever, the Holy Spirit is driving us to share truth to, then their sin becomes our sin. There are many parents who are living holy lives sexually, but because they allow their kids in their homes to live in fornication. The whole house is dealt the charge of living under fornication. Remember what Jesus said to the multitudes. If you want to follow me, you need to hate. That's good hate. And it says here that he was driven to testify to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he took his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own hills. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice. Think about this. Paul preached truth to them, and they opposed him, and they blasphemed God. And Paul took his garment, shook it off like a blanket. You ever shake a blanket that's, or a carpet that's dirty? Shake it off. He did that. Like, what do you got to do that for, Paul? So I'm showing them, showing myself. I've given them the truth. They don't want it. They're blaspheming the Lord. I'm going to the Gentiles. This is huge when it comes to doctrine and how to deal with family, friends, or whoever you're, we're, we're dealing with. In Matthew chapter 10, the Lord would say to the disciples, and whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And so the Lord told them, if they won't receive you, he didn't say stay there. He didn't say 
kumbaya with them. Who cares if they blaspheme my name? Please, enjoy your meal with them. That's not what he says. The Bible says, you know what? Leave that. Leave that situation. So many feel the need to hang out with family, with friends who won't respect the faith. They don't have to like the faith, guys. Or they don't have to follow Jesus. But they had better not blaspheme in the Lord in my presence. I'll tell you that much. Just because they're lost and God wants them to be saved doesn't mean that we should allow people in our presence to blaspheme God and us just sit there with them. Where did that come from doctrinally? When I was in, in, in the barrio, hey bro, my grandma's right here. Can you watch your language? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They don't have to be Christians to know what respect is. And where did it come into the church? Well, yeah, well, they're lost. They're blind. They don't know. So, you know, I go there and I just take a beating and they make fun of Jesus and I just sit there because if, if I don't stay there, they'll never get saved. We're, we're, that's not biblical. Amen. You tell your loved ones, look, it, I love you, but you're, if you're going to disrespect my family and the Lord in front of me, I love you, but I, I can't hang with you. And when you change that, that attitude, then call, hit me up. We'll get together again. This is why they don't get saved. Because people are coddling, enabling them of their sin. We should be a sense of a buzzkill to people. You know, you know we're going to go hang out with Uncle Ryan. You know, we got to watch our language and, you know, keep our beer at home. Yeah, we'll come. We'll eat. We'll kick it still. Yeah, yeah, leave that stuff. In Matthew 7, verse 6, Jesus would say, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine lest he trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Paul would say to them, your blood is on your hands, on your heads. What do you mean their blood? Paul felt a sense of responsibility that if he does not warn them about the judgment to come, that their blood will be on Paul. Like, listen, love, you know, this is why we don't play games with our loved ones and friends. Hey, look, I, I don't know how much time I have with you. So before you bounce, let me just tell you, Jesus loves you, man. Give him your heart because he's going to judge the world. And if you don't give him your heart, you're done. I love you. Mwah. See you later. People won't do that. Nah, if I do that, then I'll never see them. And I need them. No, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. Our sufficiency is in Jesus. Oh, but let me go first bury my dad. And let me go first do this. And let me go first do that. Remember the people made excuses? Dude, we belong to Jesus, guys. Your blood be on your own heads. Remember in, in Acts chapter 20, we'll read in a few weeks that when Paul was speaking to the elders in Ephesus, he said to them, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Like, yeah, it can be uncomfortable to say it. It can be uncomfortable to hear it. And it may be uncomfortable for me to say it. But it's like Jeremiah. Lord, it's, you know, I want to hold it all in, but it became fire in my bones. And it just comes, I have to speak. I have to tell them they're living in sin. And if it ruins the relationship, then oh, your will be done, Lord. But I need to warn them. Someone has to warn them. And I say that if we don't warn them, their blood is on our hands. 
In Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, it says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his inequity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wicked nor from his wicked way he shall die in his inequity but you have delivered your soul i have plenty of non-believing friends but when they're around me they're pretty respectful don't let anybody trample your space like that guys let them feel some pushback from a christian that says we won't have it i will not i will not stand around that you can watch yourself remember how you were when you were in the world you can, you, can, you can tone it down in front of grandma. Then they can tone it down. Some people say, oh, well, they're lost. Don't try to have them act like Christians. No, I'm not ha- having them act like Christians. I'm having them to act like good citizens. Thank you for joining us today at Lasting Truth Radio. If you're in the area, come out and join us for Sunday services at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We are located at 3035 West Nicolette Street in Banning. You can also find us on YouTube or Instagram. If you would like to donate to our program, please do so on our website at ccsweethills.org and just hit the online giving tab. We hope you will continue to tune in as we journey through the entire Word of God with the teaching of Pastor Ryan Hussein at Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills. Chapin.